Amen, right on. So typically you come here to get help, and uh, I just feel like doing the opposite of it this series. So the next few weeks, we're going to talk to you about how to wreck your life and the things you need to do to really just ruin it all. And, uh, and so we're going to take a look in depth of like what that would look like, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Amen. Are you ready? <laughs> get out your pens and your notepads, however you want to follow along, and um, it'll make sense to you here in just a little bit. But the title of my relationship or, or the title of my sermon or the first thought in this series, uh, the first way that you can wreck your life is to make your relationship with God religious. If you make your relationship with God religious, you can ruin your life. Somebody like, wait a minute, isn't religion God? And I'm confused. We're going to kind of unravel it today. But God's design was never to just be a thing that you do. This religious, this motion that you go through, just, hey, people even say this, um, like, I'm religious, I'm religious. And then like, it's, it's, like a, it's like a category of what they, it's, it's called to be a lifestyle. It's called to be who you are. Are you with me? All right, let's dig into it. So the issue that I have, and I'm going to actually say this to you, and a lot of these thoughts even come just fresh off of last week with Easter. I'm going to say this, and it's going to kind of shock you. Um, but I actually wish Easter wasn't a holiday. I wish that it wasn't actually something put on a calendar that we said, hey, uh, it's Easter, and we should do this thing for Easter, and go to church, and get dressed up, and go do the thing, and we all use Easter verbiage, and, and say all these Easter things. I wish Easter wasn't a holiday, and the reason I say that is because it does this thing to us where we say the resurrection is a season or the resurrection is a time of the year or what God did for me, we should only look at at this time when it's meant to be everyday resurrection. You all know this every day. Amen. And that's what religion does is religion says prayer is a time. We should pray at this time or reading the word is it's time to read the word. Or it's, and we make everything into this thing instead of being, no, we pray. We read the word. We talk with God. We serve. Oh, oh no, we go to church and we serve. No, you serve always. And so one of the ways you ruin your life is, is, is this. It's, it's making your relationship or what you do with God a religion or this program thing that you do. And so as a pastor, of course, I have pastor friends. And so... Last week, uh, at the end of Easter, we were all talking about, you know, how did your church do and how did it go? And, oh, we had all these people, of course, at your highest attended, you know, services of the year. And how did it go? And this did this. And, you know, this many people saw life's change and all this. But then you also talk about this term called Creaster. And Creaster is a person who comes at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> it's a Creaster person. And a buddy of mine had a picture uh, he uses a program where uh, you can see, you know, your attendance roster and check-ins and all this different stuff. And there was a family in his church who had, for three years in a row, only attended his church on Easter. So in the data, you could see there was the three years in a row that they went to church. But her Facebook check-in said, love my church, hashtag love my church. And that's funny to us as a pastor, but it's also very sad in a way that that family really thinks that they're connected to a church by only attending three times a year. What a jip and what a, 
what a, what, a, what a missing that they have going in their life because they've, they've just made it, oh, you know, Easter's coming, we better make sure, and they've compartmentalized it to just this one time where they experience or celebrate God. Uh, let me take it a little further because I think some, some of you may be thinking, man, that's kind of harsh for them to talk that way or think that way. Uh, but here, Scripture actually really even gives us looks into this, and I would want you to think about it this way. Uh, let's say, and we are, John Ferris and I are friends, and let's say, let's say we're friends. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so we're so we're friends, and um, and so let's say every year he has a birthday party. It comes up every year. He's got this birthday party. But let's say we never talked, we never connected. I never cared. I never checked in. I never spent time. We never had conversation. I never looked into what he was doing all throughout the rest of the year. But every year I showed up to his birthday party to celebrate his life. Eventually, John would be like, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense that all throughout the year, you don't care about me. You don't celebrate me. You don't, you don't have connection with me. There's no relationship here. And yet at this one time a year, you come up and start acting like you care about me. I wonder if we do that in religion. We don't pay attention. We don't care. We don't give time. We don't. And then maybe every Sunday we show up and say how much he means to us. Or definitely maybe once a year at Easter, we talk about how much he means to us. And I'm not here to push anybody out of the church or tell anybody they're not welcome, especially those that don't know God. Everybody is welcome and everyone has a place in the church and everyone belongs. You know that that's my heart in that. But I'm saying to a believer, if we want to keep God in this box, if we want to keep him in this season or this time or we put him in this list of chores, you are doing a huge disservice to yourself by programming him to be that type of a religious being to you. Amen. So I don't know if I'm still with you or tracking. Well, the scripture actually gives us a pretty good idea about how God feels about the relationship he desires with us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. This is the English Standard Version. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, talking about day of judgment when you stand before the Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This message version is really interesting. And uh, I want to read you this version of it. Matthew chapter 7, again, 21 through 23. It says this, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills, I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me saying, Master, we've preached the message. We've bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects have had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You've missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You do not impress me one bit. You're out of here. What is this saying? It's saying like you check in at Easter. You have a bumper sticker on a car or you share a thing every once in a while on Facebook. But you're not surrendered to the lordship of God. Amen. 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 
And I love the all approach. Everyone belongs. We got a place for everyone. God's got, that's all truth. But if we're not bringing them to the foot of the cross, which is a place of surrendering, then we're going to miss it. And so the surrendering is, is, it's this lordship. But what's beautiful about it is it's also relationship. It's not, it's not, hey, come to this pre-produced thing. Come to this place where we program. No, it's, it's coming to a place of relationship. I, uh, I would say it to you like this. Uh, God, again, God's desire is for us to have relationship, not religion. And so he's saying, hey, hey, come into this place where it's authentic. You know my will. You have relationship with me. You live the way I've created you to live. Amen which is relationship. Uh, Stanford assistant professor Gregory Walton, he says these three things are critical in the recovery, uh, in, in recovery to have its highest success rate or for you to have success in your development. These three things are required in that. These three themes, which number one is you're not alone. Number two, you belong. And number three, it gets better. So for you to be fulfilled and feel uh, living the way God called you to and knowing your place and having, you need to have these three themes coming from relationships. You're not alone. You belong and it gets better. Do you know that's the message of the gospel? Do you know at your inner core, God created you and wired you to know these three things. You're not alone. You belong and it gets better. But we can't experience that in the context of religion. If all it is is rules, if all it is is, and I'm all about, we're not talking about compromising scripture or having messy theology. I believe in all of that, and, and we keep that and we do that. But it's not about just making it all about rules. And It's about, hey, the inside, God is saying, I want you to know that this whole thing, and you were created to know that I value you and want relationship with you. And inside of that, those needs are met in a relationship with God. You'll notice you are not alone. He's with you. He's for you. He died for you. Number two, you belong. You have a place. You're called a son and a daughter, and you have an airship with God. Amen. And then also it gets better. We have heaven. Amen. But religion doesn't, doesn't always tell that message. It's about rule keeping. The Wall Street Journal reports that personal happiness does not come from high achievement, but from strong relationship. You're not going to be happy through accomplishment. You're going to be happy through finding, I believe, a relationship with your creator, a savior. Amen. I love this. So a relationship is never meant to be a ritual. It's never meant a relationship with God was never meant to just be this ritual that you do and you go through the motions and then you feel good about yourself. It was about being an, an, a relationship that you can experience. Here's the word ritual. It's a formal procedure. God's relationship, a relationship with God, was never meant to be a ritual or a formal procedure. A religious, here's the definition uh, of a ritual, a religious ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. Everybody say, blah. <laughs> right? We've all tried to do that before. And it just doesn't do it like coming to God, who we call our Father, and letting him speak to you and love on you and care for you. Amen. And again, I'm not here to tear down any other religions or any. You can have authentic relationship with God through any kind of platform that is authentic yeah. with God. So I'm not here to say, oh, it's got to be this kind of church or that kind of church. It's a heart thing. Yeah. Amen. But I'm just saying when we come in, just making sure we're doing the prescribed order, it's never going to meet that relational need on the inside of you. Amen. Right. All the way back to the beginning. And again, just, just trying to make a point here about God's desire to be in relationship with you. 
He's not an angry lightning bolt throwing God who, who sits on this thing far from all of us with a scorecard. No, he, he desires to be with us. Proofs of that are all the way back in the beginning. When you look at Genesis, it says that God, what? Walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. His desire was always to be with us, relating to us, connecting with us. Amen. So when we make it this procedure or this prescribed order, it's the very opposite of God, what God wanted. Notice in the garden, it didn't say they came to God and they did this thing and they did. It was relationship from the beginning and still is today. Amen. Time with God should be just as normal for us. And I know many of you have heard this, but we got to think this way. Time with God and our relationship with God should be very holy and we fear God. And it should be very something that we have great reverence for. But it also should be just as normal as picking up a phone call and calling a friend or, or writing a letter to somebody. I know many people will journal their prayers or they'll put their stuff into poems. And all, all of those ways that you experience relationship should be the normal ways we experience relationship with God. You should be able to get in the car after a rough, rough situation and get in the car and literally just talk out loud to yourself in your car and say, man, God, that situation was messed up. Will you help me? That bothered me. I'm frustrated. Yeah. Amen. And so we reverence it and his truth and, and we believe he is a holy and almighty God, but at the same time, he desires authentic relationship with us. Right. And the truth is we know what an inauthentic relationship looks like and even feels like. And, and it's a turnoff to all of us. That's why people have left the church in huge numbers. An example, uh, maybe it happened to you at Easter. You go to Easter and because it's Easter and maybe you're having dinner or it's Christmas and you're having dinner because it's a religious holiday. All of a sudden, you get the person around the table who you know doesn't pray this way, and they don't talk this way, and they don't live this way. But because it's Easter, you get to the table, and you have that one guy who prays, Oh, Lord, and, and you're hungry. Let's just be real, right? We're hungry. Lord, I thank you for the napkin here and the napkin. And, Lord, this fork over here on my left, I see your fork on my left. I pray that you. And they go, and they're praying for hours, and they're using all these huge words. And you just get to the... And, and when you look at it and you just know that's not how God intended it. And I'm not here to judge prayer and I'm not here to whatever. But, but what I am trying to say, if all we're doing it is because we feel like we should or because it's Easter or because it's Christmas, we are jipping ourselves by a lot. Amen. Uh, I even think it's funny when I go to fa family gatherings or other things where uh, you just gather with people. Uh, because I'm the pastor, I always get picked to pray. Even that mindset's really funny. Like everyone's here and everyone gathers and there's lots of Christians in the room and people who are capable of praying and you're in there and, 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 and like time comes to pray and every, like the whole room just turns to me like, Pastor, do you want to pray? Like, it's like a default ranking. Are we there? Like, well, he's here. Surely he needs to be the one to pray. Like my prayer is not going to count. The pastor's in the room. Or maybe their thought is like, he really likes praying. <laughs> like he signed up to do it for life. We better let him do it. He's, we should do it. Even that idea is really kind of religious in itself, right? Like we're all in a whole room. Like why do we default to the guy? Like, no, we all can pray. Mine's not going to be any more heard than yours. Mine's not anymore. God wants our hearts in it. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 kind of talks about it and starts in verse 7 and 8. But you see the story where uh, Jesus is talking and he's talking about the, the parable or he's talking about the religious leaders. They're babbling in their prayers. They're standing on street corners so that they can be heard and it can be impressive. And, and he goes like, look they got their reward in that. Like that Easter dinner babble, like all that stuff that they're trying to do, that's the reward in that. That's about as far as that's going to get. But he goes on to say, he's like, therefore, don't be like them in verse eight. The father knows the things you need before you ask him. Just come in and just ask him and relate and connect and be real with him. 
Amen. So my son, Charlie, just turned three, and he's really into cars. You've heard me say this before, but uh, like Cars the movie. And there's all these different characters all throughout Cars, and he's very particular. Now, Jess is very particular in, like, order. I'm very particular in, like, the grumpier old man movie. Like, that's me. Anyone see that movie, right? Like, he's just like, I'm the don't touch my stuff guy. Like, I can't wait to turn 50 and not care anymore and just, like, tell everybody they're a putz and get out of my way and don't touch my stuff. And, like, I already go home and, like, tuck my sweatpants into, like, here and get the remote. And I'm like, people, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit because I don't want you to think, I think he sounds mean when he's not at church. Kind of. So Charlie has become this very, like, particular about things. Just likes to do his things, like, his very particular way. And it comes from me. Jess is very orderly, very, very organized. But mine is just, like, the don't-touch-my-stuff guy. And, and so he's really into all these characters, knows all their names. So much so that, like, we've gotten him a Lightning McQueen car for Christmas. And so then in his mind, he, like, watches these movies and calculates, okay, I've... I've gotten McQueen and Mater, and now I need, and he gets down to like these characters that are barely in the movie. So I'm like buying them from China on eBay because it's the only place that makes this random character who was like a, okay. And, and, and what's funny about it, and so this is what I'm learning about the heart of the father, is it says a lot about how God cares for us in the way that we think ahead for our kids. So I'll try to break this down the best that I can, but it's one of those, I'm writing this note and I'm thinking to myself, will this make sense to anybody? It's like in my heart, but I don't know if I can make it in my words. So he's particular about these cars, these kinds. And so as a father, and my heart for him as a father is I'm very excited. His birthday again came, it was yesterday. But the months leading up to it, I was very excited as his father and my love toward him to ordain his steps before him. Now, what does that mean? I knew if we got him this one thing at this time, and then we had another family member get him this thing at this party and another, I knew that like all the things would work together for the good of his car's experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it brought me great joy to be able to line up and orchestrate, or if you'll let me use the scripture, ordain his steps to bring him great joy. It was pleasing to the father to watch all these things come together for the good of his life. Now, what would have been very displeasing to me is if my son came to me and had some pre-programmed dad and did this religious thing for me. And then as I watched him experience the ordained steps of his life, it was very cold and calloused and just routine and we went through this whatever prescribed ordain right it would take all the joy out of the heart of it for me and I wonder if we do the same thing to God I wonder if he created us he loves us he's ordained these steps for us and he wants he wants to be in great relationship with us so he can experience all of those steps come together for the goodness of your life And that's why religion is terrible. It's because it takes all of the heart of the father to his kids out of it. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Did it come from my heart to my words? Does that make sense? And that's why the scripture goes on and on to say in Jeremiah 3, 3, call to me and I'll answer you because the heart of the father is to do that. Hey, come to me and I'll have your answer. Call to me and I'll answer you. 
It says, I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Like, hey, come to me. I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty. That's the heart of the Father is like, hey, just come to me. And I want to show you all these great and mighty things. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of a dad or even a mother is like, hey, you come to me. I can't wait to show you these things. But when it's all this pre-programmed, go through the motion and your heart is not in it. It's not what it's supposed to be. Amen. What I love about God is every time you go to him in the word or in prayer, he has your answer. He's saying, come to me, call to me, come to me. I got your answer. I promise when you read the word or when you go to him in prayer, every single time you're going to get something. People say, oh, no, no, I've prayed and God hasn't answered me. Or I've prayed and I haven't heard anything. And I know we've experienced that before. But even in the times of silence, sometimes that wait is still the proper answer. Every time God's got your right answer, I promise you, you open the word or you turn on a worship song, God's going to nudge or prompt something to your heart. Amen? And I say it like this, uh, versus a normal relationship in our life, we do it all the time. We, so the scripture says, call to me and I'll answer for you. I'll have an answer for you. We do it all that time in our life, in our normal life. Hey, we run into a situation. Oh, I got a pl- plumbing problem or I got a ca- car problem or I got a thing. And so what do you do? You call to somebody who can give you the answer about it. So you call dad, right? He's like, dad. I got this thing. What do I do? So you call the person who's going to have the answer to you. Why don't we do that in life with God? And and it's because we haven't fully connected this relationship thing as a God and as a father who has our answer. Call to me. I'll answer you. I have revelation for you. Amen. Does that make sense? But all this babble that we just read in Matthew, all this idea of, oh, it's got to be all the hype and all this blah, 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 standing on the corner and, and praying at great lengths. That, that's not what it's about. It's about making a heart connection. I love Bob Goff. He wrote this new book. Uh, I, I think it's called Everybody All the Time or something like that. I don't really remember because the title doesn't matter. It's what's inside it that matters. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I just realized I didn't write down the title. Um, it says this. It says, God isn't wowed by fancy words. It says he delights in humble hearts. God isn't wowed by all the fancy words. He delights in humble hearts. And we get all caught up in this big what it's got to be and what we got to say and how we're going to share it on Facebook and how is it going to make. And God's over here like he just wants your heart. Think about our kids. Like our kids come to us and they're learning to talk or they're learning to communicate. Then if they don't come and say it all perfectly and say it right, you don't go, whoa, what are you, stupid? Get out of here. You can't. No, you help them through it, and you listen, and you find the answer, and you, I feel like some of you do just tell them they're stupid and go away. Is that, I, maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> but it's relationship. It's communication. It's like God desires to be with us and relating and connecting. He doesn't want to be left at Easter. Amen. Uh, even the way that he created us speaks a lot about how he desires to have relationship. Uh, the average woman speaks 50,000 words a day. The average man speaks 20,000 words a day. Um, I know a few women that are probably above average here. Uh, But God, don't make judgments about who, I'm just saying. Uh, God made us verbal. Listen, think about this. God made us that verbal because he wants to hear from us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be interacting with us because he loves us and cares about us. Amen? I'll close with this. Scripture says uh, that in Genesis, God's looking at all the things that was created. So in Genesis, he says, hey, tree's good, sky good, everything I made is good. And then he takes a look at Adam, who's alone. In the first time in Scripture, you hear God say something's not good. And what is it? It's that man's alone. 
So he looks down and he goes, whoa, that's not a good thing that he's alone. People shouldn't be in loneliness. They shouldn't feel like they're on the outside. They shouldn't feel like they have somebody to go to. We all need to be, as I alluded to earlier, in this great relationship. And I think the most important relationship we should be experiencing is one with a heavenly father who cares for us. Not a religious routine, not a thing we go through at Easter, but a real relationship with a heavenly father. So he looks down and he says, hey, that's not good. And so he creates Eve and, and then he populates. And then you see in Genesis, again, God's desire about doing that is like, hey, it's not good that you're alone. Uh, we got to be together in this is what God's heart is. Amen. Psychiatrists say the two most powerful words that you can hear on the inside of you when they do a study is when somebody genuinely from a heartfelt place says, me too, or I get it, or I understand, I've been there. I love the scripture that says about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize in our weaknesses, but in all ways was tempted and was without sin. You could say the message of Easter or the cross is Jesus, God coming down to earth taking on flesh and blood, living the life that we had to live, being without sin so that he could now be the God up in heaven who can look down and see what we're going through because he went through it too. Look down and say, hey, me too. I get it. I've been there. And connect at a highly relational level with our hearts. Amen. Because he cares and he's there and he wants to have relationship with us. One of the ways that you can ruin your life is just to make your relationship with God religious just this programmed, stuffy, traditional, like just thing that you go through instead of trying to make relationship with God. John 16, seven says this. My question would be, well, why isn't Jesus here? Why can't we experience it? Why, I wish we, you can experience him. And he's got an answer to how you can connect with him. John 16, seven says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper, one translation calls him the comforter. Uh, it's to your advantage. One says the advocate, somebody who's connecting and relating and working on your behalf. It sounds relational to me. So Jesus is ascending to heaven. He says, hey, it's going to be awesome that I send you uh, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be a part. That's who you and we can relate and connect and have working with you and being on your behalf. It's to your advantage. If Jesus stood here and there's 7 billion people on earth, if Jesus was still here and the only way we could experience him was by being with him, then if the 7 billion people here on earth waited 85 years in line to spend time with Jesus, they would get him for two seconds. It was like, oh, I wish Jesus was still here and I could see him. Okay, you'd wait 85 years in a line and then you'd get two seconds with him. It's better that he sent us the Holy Spirit who leads us and prompts us and comforts us. Amen. Because that's the relational component that we can connect with. And I know there's so much more in all of that. But I want you leaving today knowing that like it can't just be about Easter. It can't just be about Sunday. Our lifestyle needs to be about an authentic relationship with God. And that's why we do book studies. And that's why we do all the things that we do, not just so that we can be busy. It's so that we can find ways to keep this relationship kindled and stoked and growing in God. Amen.